2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Welcome everybody this morning. We uh, appreciate being in the Lord's house and appreciate our children singing and uh, just the Lord blessing us to get through another year and uh, looking forward to this one. Uh, like Terry mentioned, uh, Brother Farmer's testimony. I hope this is the best one yet as far as living for the Lord and 
how the church moves. No. I had a little thought last night that stuck with me. Uh, I was standing there after the baptism. My grandmother come through and, uh, to hug Brooklyn and Bronson. Uh, she'll be 90 here in a couple months. And, uh, and my thought lined up with right where Jordan preached about the decisions we make and uh, how what we do is going to impact our kids and grandkids and, uh, you know, like I said, Grandma's 90, and as long as I can remember, she's uh, lived for the Lord, and uh, her father was pastor of this church. Uh, I don't even know how many years ago, but that's that's impacted me. That impacted my salvation, and, uh, you know, what I do today, how I live my life is going to impact my kids, and my hopefully, if the Lord don't come back, my grandkids and great-grandkids, and... Uh, I just that message just uh, stuck with me. What we do, it, it impacts our people, and uh, we all need to we all need to be here, um, like like Jordan preached, and that just uh, that really sat well with me, and I felt like sharing that this morning. And we just look forward to having a great day in the Lord, and uh, we just pray everybody do everything the Lord gave them this morning. Now, Mass Taylor dismisses Sunday school. Good to be here. Appreciate everybody for coming out this morning. And uh, got a, a lesson that I'm excited about. Brother Carl asked me last night. He said, "Are you ready?" And I said, "Well, I said uh, the Lord has really blessed me this week studying this lesson, which scares me to death because uh, uh, I've been in that spot a few times, uh, getting ready for trying to do something for the Lord and get a real good blessing." But that doesn't necessarily mean that when you get to the point where you're ready to teach it or sing or whatever you're going to do, that it's going to be the same. Uh, so I need your prayers this morning. 
I hope it is, and it can be, if that's the Lord's will, and if I can get you know me out of the way. Uh, but just a great uh, lesson. Uh, we're going to be in Second Chronicles chapter seven. Give you just a minute to get there. Second Chronicles chapter seven. Our lesson that they've got in the book is verses 12 through 22 and be no surprise to you that I'm going to back up and we're going to talk about kind of some things leading up to this um, I will say I'm glad to be healthy enough to be back teaching I appreciate the health and strength that God's given me brother Carl's been asking me for weeks do you feel like teaching yet do you feel like teaching and uh, so I just wanted to make sure I had the strength and the ability be here so appreciate his uh, his willingness to, to share um, so want to talk about some dates uh, so where we're at in this lesson uh, as you know we're at the spot where <clears throat> Solomon is dedicating the temple that he has built he's dedicating it to God and actually where this lesson picks up, Solomon has just had a feast and they've been there for several days and they've sacrificed. And we'll go over a little bit of that. And he has offered this beautiful prayer that uh, is in chapter 6 and I think some in chapter 7. And he sent the people all home. And God starts talking to Solomon. Just God and Solomon. That's where our lesson is at. So that kind of sets the stage. So let's back up. I, I like to talk about dates. It helps me keep things in perspective with other events that have happened. Sometimes we talk about this event and that event and this event and that event, and it's hard for me to put them together so that I, but it helps me when I understand what order things went in, and maybe it's just me. But so uh, the children of Israel were led out of captivity in Egypt in 1440 B.C. So 1440 years before Christ was when Moses led the children out of Egypt. Okay. Now keep in mind, when they left Egypt, they God gave them some things because he wanted them to worship, and they had a, a tabernacle. It was a tent, and they took it with them, and they would go and you know, we all know the story. There was a cloud or a, or a pillar of fire, and they followed that, and they, they stayed with that. But they had this tabernacle and this tent, and they would move it from spot to spot. When they moved, they would move it, and that's where they worshipped. And so uh, it brings us down. King David reigned over Israel from 1010 to 970 B.C., so about 40 years. In 970 B.C., Solomon took over, which was King David's son. And he reigned. And this temple was built during his reign. Now, I want to talk about David because David has so much to do with what was constructed here. Uh, and it, it, he did so much work. David had a burden. And he communed and talked with God a lot. And he talked to God about building a temple for God. And God 
told David, he said, you've been a, a king of war and you've shed so much blood and there's been so much that's happened under your reign, I'm not going to let you be the king that builds the temple. But you're going to have a son and I'm going to let him build the temple. And so there's some great scripture in Chronicles and some over in uh, Samuel, I think, uh, where there's discussion about David talking to Solomon and telling him what all he's done and the things that he's gotten ready and the conversation he's had with God. So David is getting ready to die, and he knows it, but he's telling Solomon about this. So Solomon gets this commission both from God, his father, and from David, his natural father, to do this. So Solomon uh, takes over and, and very soon he starts building this temple. And this temple is a beautiful place. Um, I, I wish I had run them off. I didn't, but I, I looked up, and you can Google them if you want to. Uh, but there are some pictures of this temple, uh, and they're just, you know, drawings that people have looked at what the scriptures say and have, draw, you know, drawn them. But he built this temple, and he built it for uh, the children of Israel and a, them a place to be able to sacrifice and a place for them to be able to worship and a place for them to be able to pray. King David, when he got it on his heart to build this, he was looking for a place to build it. And I want to talk a lot about the place where it's built. But there was a time where he wanted to go and make sacrifice and, and talk with God and, and essentially be at the temple but it was when there was just still a tabernacle it was the tent and it was it was way far off it was in an, another part of the kingdom at that point and and it it saddened him he wanted to go and have a conversation with god but where he wanted to do that wasn't available for him so he saw the need for the people to have a place that was built and permanent uh you know a building where that they could go and make these sacrifices and there's so much symbolism to me between this building that they built, which was a, a real actual building and, and served its purpose for them to worship under the law, and our salvation. Uh, there's, there's so many places, and I hope I can get to some of those today. So, um, as I said, David was looking for a place, and an angel of the Lord came to him and said, uh, there's a, a man over here named Ornan. That's got a couple of different spellings. If you different books spell that a little differently, but Ornan. And he's got a threshing floor. And that's where you need to go and talk to him and try to acquire that. And that's where you need to build the altar and the temple of God. That's where that needs to be done. And so David went and talked to Ornan, and Ornan said, I'll just give it to you. And David said, no, I'm not going to make my sacrifice and my, uh, my commitment to God based on you giving me something. I want to buy it. I want to pay for it. That way it'll be mine, and then I can offer it to God, and, and we can do this the right way. So he paid uh, a lot of money, but Ornan sold it to him. And this threshing floor, David erected an altar there, and then later that's where Solomon built the temple that we're talking about. Now, Solomon's temple, just historically, was there until 586 B.C., 
And in the last year or two, we've talked about the, the conquest of Israel when Nebuchadnezzar came in, the Babylonians, and they destroyed it. They took it all the way down to rubble. And there's a little foreshadowing of that in the end of our lesson today. Uh, and there was a second temple built later, and, and we've talked some about that in Nehemiah, and some of them went back and rebuilt that and, and reconstructed it. That was torn down. Today in Israel, there's a place called the Temple Mount, which is... It's a place that's, you know, they've got it set up where that was at, but there's no temple there. There's a, there's a building, but that's, they've still got that commemorated. And maybe mom or dad uh, who've been over there, uh, did you guys go to the Temple Mount? I knew you were right there pretty close. Right. So, uh, and, and I know that they've got some pictures of that. And again, there's pictures online. But so, I mean, there's, there's a, the, the spot physically is still there. All right. And so let's talk some about, um, as I said, King David's got this on his heart. And he knows he's getting ready to die. And he knows that he's not going to get to build it, but that God's going to, God's promised him, your son will build this. So what does David do? He starts compiling the material, which is really interesting to me. He starts preparing. He knew there was a job out there, but he starts preparing. He, he created a, a storehouse where that he put up gold and silver, both to decorate this place and to help pay for it. He had uh, timber brought in, uh, cedar trees that they brought in, and they brought those in, and he just he stockpiled it. He just he was preparing the stuff. He had iron so that they could make nails and, and you know, put the things together. Uh, one of the beautiful things about this temple is it was fabricated, and then they, they brought it on site, and they put it together, all right? And there was not a hammer used putting it together you think about that they're building this building and it took you know a few years for it to be constructed uh, the guess is somewhere around maybe four to six years I think if I understood the literature right which was really fast but they never used a hammer I mean everything fit together it, it went together exactly like it should and that's why I say there's such a symbolism of this building this temple and our salvation. When God saves us, he puts us right in our spot. And in the church, and I don't mean the, the building of the church, I mean the spiritual church. He puts us right where we're supposed to be. He puts us right in our spot. There's a place for you. And you don't have to have a crowbar. Or you don't have to have a hammer to make somebody fit. When God designs it and puts it together... It fits just right, just exactly like this building. But in reading that and thinking about them putting this temple together like they did and it not having a hammer 
use to make anything fit is just fascinating to me. I mean, uh, the you know the workmanship required to do that is is astonishing. So David puts all these materials together and talks to Solomon, and David dies. Solomon's king, and he starts working on this thing. And in the first part of the chapter seven. Let's go over there and we'll actually get, I'll read some since I've just talked so much. So in, the, in chapter 6, Solomon is praying. He's got everybody together. It's in the seventh month. They're having their feast that takes place, one of them in the seventh month under the Jewish calendar. And so the beginning of chapter 7, now listen to this. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying... The fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now listen to this. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. So God is showing them right away that he is accepting what they're doing and he is happy with where they're at and that they're in a good spot. He's blessing them. It, you know, different scenario altogether, but took my mind back to when we had our dedication service here at this church. And boy, what a day we had. And the Lord just blessed it so good. And house was full of people. Now, if you read back in chapter 5 or chapter 6, it says all of Israel has come out. They're all there. I mean, there no, I mean, there's just not anybody that's not there. They all came out. They wanted to see this. And the king had said, come out. But they all came. It's a big crowd. And they all brought their sacrifices. They all had something they wanted uh, to offer. Uh, now, it talks about Solomon's sacrifice, and we'll get to that in a minute. But each one of them, we've all got something to do in order to serve God. Now, we're not under the law. We don't have to bring sheep and doves and, and things. And, you know, this building, if you look at it and, and read, it was like a slaughterhouse. I mean, because they made their sacrifices there at this place. I mean, that was what they were required to do. So we don't have to do that, but we do have things that we have to do to be ready. I can come and be right over here at my seat every service and not be ready and not get to take part in, in what's going on. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I got to do, I've got to come before God and be presentable. I can't go out and, and be at the, the bar or out drinking or out doing something ungodly all week long and expect to show up and sit down over here and, and be able to commune with God. Uh, I've got to be in a place where that that uh, he wants me. Now, please understand, and you all know this, but that doesn't mean I'm perfect. I'm far from it. I've, I've got to do what God tells them to do here and what and, and his discussion with Solomon. I've got to do that regularly. I've got to say, Lord, it's me again. I've, you know, I messed up. I'll, please forgive me. I'm trying to do better. Okay? Uh, and we're required to do that. But So we've got some things we need to live right, and then we need to make that effort and when we you know mess up we need to acknowledge that and, and get to a spot where that we can try to serve God they 
had this place built and they're making these sacrifices and they have their feast. Solomon makes this beautiful prayer. And I believe it said that Solomon himself sacrificed 28,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. You think about that. It, one of the verses there in chapter 7, and I, I won't go to it because I'm going to run out of time if I don't hurry, but one of the verses said that he actually altered the temple during this time frame to make provisions for the great amount of sacrifices that they had processed through there. I mean, because you think about, I mean, they had these animals and killing them and blood. and, and the, So they had to make some, there was so much sacrifice that was taking place. But God saw their heart. Everybody didn't need to sacrifice 28,000 oxen and 120,000. Now, if God put that on their heart, that's what they should have done. Solomon had riches beyond riches. And that's what God wanted him to offer. That's what he felt like he needed to offer. So that's what he offered. You know, we, we have an offering. We used to pass a plate. It sits in the back there now. Uh, you know, some people give more than other people. Give whatever God puts on your heart. I mean, that's what you should give. I will tell you, I believe in tithing. And I, oh, boy, we shouldn't talk about that. I'm just telling you what I believe. And, you know, Ronnie Martin took me when I was a kid through the scriptures and I love the one scripture that's Christ and I don't even have it marked wasn't planning to go there but Christ said you have tithed and you've prayed and you've sacrificed all these things you should have done he does go on to say but you've left some stuff out okay but the first part of that verse is he says you've tithed and you should have well if the Lord says it that's good enough for me so I tithe you give what you feel like giving, but I think tithing is a blessing. So that's just a little side note. I threw that in for free. All right, so let's hurry. I'm, I'm going to run out of time. I apologize I'm taking so long. But So we're in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. So Solomon has finished praying, and the people have all gone home. Okay, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer. Here's a man praying for the people that he's leading. And God shows up and says, I've hurt you. Boy, that's you know worth more than all the ox and all the sheep and all the gold. Solomon knew that the people needed a way and a place just like his dad knew and God shows up and says I've heard you how great is it when we gather here and God shows up and says I've heard your prayer I saw you over there in your prayer closet this week and I heard you how great is that it's invaluable more precious than all the gold I've heard thy prayer, and I have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. Now listen to what he says. And Carl taught this a year or so ago, right when we were in the middle of the pandemic. And, and I thought then how great that it was that this is still, you know, all these years later, still such good advice. This is, this is the Lord. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, 
or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence, a plague, you know, a disease that is infectious that we can get, and you know, if I send pestilence among my people, listen to what he says. If my people, which are called by my name, do what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So there's four things he tells them that they need to do. They need to humble themselves. They need to pray. They need to seek his face. In other words, ask God, what's your will? You know, tell me, you know, what you need me to do. And turn from their wicked ways. What will he do? Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Will heal their land. Um, that's the same message for us today. They were having things back then. They had drought, and we read about them. They had, you know, locusts came through and wiped out their crops. We have things that happen, you know, to our crops and, and our food uh, growing ability. They had, they had a pandemic. They had more than one of them, but they had pandemics. They had things come through, and their people died. They had problems just like we've got problems. And God's telling them here, if you'll turn to me and keep me a priority in your life and in your country, and, and in, in, if you'll make me a priority, I'll hear you, and, I, and I'll help you. Um, and what a great blessing that is. We're going to have problems. If you don't, you know, Bob Wilson preached it at Albert Street. Gosh, it's probably been 40 years ago now. I'll never forget it. He said... If you don't have problems right now, get ready because they're coming. I thought last night uh, mom called me and told me about my uncle who got diagnosed with lung cancer, and I hate it. But I thought, you know, if, if, if you don't have something like that going on right now in your family, at some point, you know, if it didn't happen in 22 It'll probably happen in 23, and if it don't happen in 23, it'll probably happen. But all of us are going to have that problem. We didn't come here to stay forever. We're just, you know, we're just passing through. And so we're all going to have problems, and we're, you know, we're going to have difficulties. Um, I want to go over this scripture. Has, has, I don't know why, but it's, it's been on my mind, and I wrote it down, and I wasn't even sure where I was going to use it, but we're going to use it right now. 2 Kings 6, 2 uh, Kings chapter 6. So we're going to start at verse 15. I'm going to read verse 15, 16, and 17. This is Elisha, and he's got his servant with him, and overnight... The enemy came out and encamped all the way around them. And so that re listen to this. Boy, this, this just makes me want to shout sometimes when I read this. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, 
Behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? So a servant gets up and sees this and is like, Oh my goodness, they got us surrounded. What in the world are we going to do? Have you ever felt like that? Boy, I have. Uh, I've looked around and I thought, Lord, how mercy. There ain't, you know, there ain't no way out of this. What in the world am I going to do? And he answered, this is Elisha. Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Same thing that God is talking to Solomon about back here and telling him, if your people will make me a priority, I'm going to take care of them and I'll help them. There's going to be times where you're going to wake up and you're going to go out early in the morning and it's going to look like the devil's got you completely boxed in. But... If you'll make me a priority and you'll keep me and follow me and do what I'm telling you to do, I'll give you a way out. And it just, man, what a blessing that is. Does anybody have any comments? I'm, I've been talking a lot. I'll give you a chance to say something if you feel like. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it from a natural standpoint, there was no reason here in Second Kings that Elisha and his, his helper should have got out of that. Absolutely no reason. The king wanted them. He knew that Elisha was giving help to the Israeli king, and he wanted him. Man, he was hot. He said, every time we get them boxed in, somehow they, they, get, they sneak, get away, figure us out. Who's telling them all this? He said, well, it's Elisha, the prophet. He wanted him. Man, he was mad. And the Lord struck the whole group of them blind, and Elisha let them right down and gave them to the king and said, here they are. Um, no reason why that should have happened. There's been so many things in my life that there was no logical reason why it should have happened other than but God. You know, so thank goodness for that. So back to, appreciate that comment, back to Second Chronicles, uh, verse 16. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be here forever, and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. For as for thee, now Jordan preached on this last night. He preached on choices last night. And what choice? And he actually even got over, and he didn't read this exact scripture, but he talked about this right here last night. I thought, man, what a great intro that is for Sunday school in the morning. But he's talking to, to Solomon. As for thee, if thou will walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, and observe my statutes and my judgments, 
what? What, what will God do? That I will establish the throne of thy kingdom according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be ruler in Israel. So God's saying, If you'll follow me, I'll bless you. He says someplace else, I set before you a blessing and a curse. Which one do you want? Follow God, get the blessing. Don't follow God, get the curse. And that goes with being saved, and then it goes with our life after we're saved. Follow God, don't follow God. We've got a choice to make every day. But listen to these last four verses. I said there's a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. We all know that several hundred years later, Israel has just turned its back on God, turned its back on God, turned its back on God, and they would bounce back for just a little bit, and God would bless them, and then they turn their back on God. In 586 B.C., Babylon overruns Israel, destroys the temple that Solomon has just dedicated here in this, this passage, destroys it. And the children of Israel that are worth anything to the Babylonians are carried to Babylon and made slaves. The only ones they left were the ones they didn't think were worth taking, the real old and the sick. And maybe, if, yeah, I mean, that's the only ones that they didn't take. But listen, but if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I pluck them up by the roots out of my land, which I have given them, and this house, which I have sanctified for my name, will I cast out of my sight and will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. And this house, which is high, shall be an astonishment to everyone that passeth by it, so that he shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto this land and unto this house? And it shall be answered, Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore hath he brought all this evil upon them. And that happens. And even when Israel came back, Nehemiah and Ezra, and rebuilt the temple a second time, and they turned their back on God again, and it, and it happened again. And so I want to spend the last few minutes talking about where this temple was built. Okay, So we got a pretty good picture of what the temple was and the symbolism now, I want to talk about a couple of other places. So if you've got your Bible, if you would, so we know this is a threshing floor, and it's where Jerusalem is now. Jerusalem wasn't there then. This was just, you know, David built Jerusalem. I mean, he established this, and, and, and Solomon did, and, and that was built there after they When David went there and bought the threshing floor, it was just a farm. Okay? Let's go back to Genesis Chapter 22, verse 1. This is God talking to Abraham. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, 
and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. And of course you know what happened. Abraham took his son Isaac up on Mount Moriah and was ready to sacrifice him. And an angel said, Whoa, look behind you. There's a ram caught in the thicket. There's your sacrifice. Okay. So hold on to that. Let's go over to John chapter 19. St. John chapter 19, we're going to be in verse 16. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into the place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Moriah is also the location of the threshing floor that David purchased to build his altar. So Abraham took Isaac up on Mount Moriah, and then David, pursuant to the angel of God, built the altar and set forth the plans for Solomon to build the temple on Mount Moriah. And lastly, Mount Moriah is also Golgotha. It's the same place. So it all ties together from Abraham to David down to Jesus. One of the things that's such a blessing to me in reading about Abraham taking Isaac is that he placed the wood that was going to be used and Isaac carried the wood. What a representation of Christ carrying the cross up the hill to be the sacrifice. Now we all know that God saved Isaac, but it was a representation. And he blessed Abraham for being willing to follow. But God saved Isaac and didn't have Abraham sacrifice him. But the symbolism from Abraham and then the fact that the angel tells David, obviously not a mistake, and David listened to the angel and, and went and bought the threshing floor where he was supposed to be, same place. And the time between that was probably a couple of thousand years or close to it. So David, I don't think, had any idea. If he did, it doesn't say it. I don't see anything in the scripture that makes me think that he did. But then all that time later and Christ comes and he's our sacrifice. So we got Abraham taking Isaac there. And then we've got all these sheep that are brought there for a sacrifice representing Christ and pointing forward to that sacrifice that we're waiting on. And then we got Christ there at the same spot, right there on the same plot of ground, just outside the city walls. Um, and it just made such a, it was a, such a blessing to me tying all those together. What comments do you have? We're just about out of time. I appreciate your attention. Thank you very much for being here. Happy New Year. Thank you for your prayers.